0: And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my job? Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie, and we're here to take you on an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read it but you can't forget, we've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious talking about your new favorite
1: reads. Hello, I am Harmony.
0: I am Maggie. Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club, where this week we're talking about Akata Witch by Nettie Akorafor.
1: Maggie, what were your first impressions of this book, or do we want to give a summary first?
0: We can give a summary. So this book is essentially about a young teenager named Sunny, who was born in the United States and moves to Nigeria. She is albino, so she faces a lot of bullying at school and is sort of having trouble fitting it a little bit. In some ways, she's too American for Nigeria still, although she's slowly working through that. And after one instance of really bad bullying, she makes friends with a boy named Orlu. And through this friendship, he brings her into a a larger group of friends. And she eventually discovers that she is a leopard person, which in Western culture is like a witch or a sorcerer. And that she has powers of invisibility, among other things. So this book almost in some ways becomes like a magic school book where it's about these four kids who are going through trials to develop their magic. The fourth who we haven't who I haven't mentioned yet is named Sasha. He's also American and he's sent to Nigeria by his family because he's a little out of control with his magic. He's understandably really angry at the establishment in the United States as a young black man. And he's sent to Nigeria to kind of learn some restraint in some ways. So these four kids go through magic school and then eventually find out that they're kind of destined to take down the big baddie in this world who has been killing and maiming kids in order to bring back this demoness, essentially. So they go, they fight the big baddie, they kind of win, but there's still room for the demoness to come in because this is a series. And it's in many ways a journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance through magic school and what it means to find and understand yourself and as part of that, find the place in the world where you belong.
1: I think that's an accurate summary. Did you mention Chi-Chi in your summary, though? Chi-Chi is
0: lose friend, she's part of the friend group, the four of them. And she's ultimately the one who discovers that Sunny is also a leopard person and brings her along into this world.
1: It is true. It is true. So what were your first impressions reading this book, Maggie?
0: My first impressions reading this book were that I think and like this is a personal preference, which doesn't really matter. Ultimately, I think for me, it's skewed a little bit young. I definitely preferred Binti by Akorafor, which we're reading next week, but we've already recorded. <laughs> but I think Was a really interesting and and lovely take on the whole magic school thing. I liked the friend group a lot. I liked our characters a lot. I thought that they all felt very distinct. They had their own motivations. And even though the book is entirely through Sunny's point of view, I felt like I understood all of their motivations throughout all of it. And I don't know, I'm just a really big fan of watching people of color who have historically been pushed out of certain kinds of books being able to reinvent tropes that I'm tired of seeing from white authors because it's been done a million times and put their own cultural spit on it in a way that makes said again, quote unquote, trope in this case, like the chosen one magic school situation feel really new and really fresh and really engaging. And I think overall, it had a really nice message for like a younger adult reader about finding yourself and finding your friends and where you belong in the world. So overall, I would say I enjoyed it, even if it probably wasn't, you know, meant for me quite as much. I really got a lot out of it regardless. What about you? What were your first impressions?
1: I think it was very similar to yours. The writing style, I prefer in Binti, but the world building and the magic system, even though I have no concept of fantasy magic system and whether or not that's good or bad, I just really loved it. I love the world building and I love the leopard community and we'll talk more about this later, but reading this book, it felt really warm and cozy sometimes because the leopard community is all about learning and knowledge and they embrace each other's differences, even though they're not always doing it perfectly. And so I felt like those core values were communicated really well throughout this book.
0: I agree. And something that I also really enjoyed about this book was the heavy presence of adult guidance, which I know sounds weird. But I think that sometimes in YA, it focuses a lot on just young adult characters doing their own thing, and the adults get pushed out. And in some stories that works really, really well. But in this one, it felt, I think, very community oriented, because the adults were so involved. And it never took away from the empowerment of our main teenage characters. They were always there as knowledge bases as support systems to push them to do better. But ultimately, it was the power of these 14s that saved the world and the adults recognize that and recognize this power the entire time and even when they have moments where they feel like the kids need to grow they're very forward about it and being like you're being immature right now and this is not acceptable in this situation and it becomes a really just wonderfully nurturing environment. I think that it's really nice to just read a book that is so community-based while also having like a really relatively high-octane plot, too.
1: I agree. I think part of the reason why the book feels so community-based is because the adult tropes are incredibly diverse. Antov is not a character that I typically see acting as a mentor or the primary teacher. You know, he's prickly. He's kind of suave sometimes. I can't really get a read on his goddamn age and it feels almost a little bit weird. He's a hermit. It feels almost a little bit weird to have these kids interacting with an adult of this personality type but it also works really well because the kids recognize that and I think it's funny that you said that the environment is nurturing because in many ways it is the way the world works you get money and currency every time you learn a new skill that seems nurturing there is an abundance of adults and adults will choose to mentor you and you have education going on but they also aren't perfect and they like make no attempts in this book to paint any adult as perfect with the exception of maybe Chi-Chi's mom, who we really only meet at the beginning, but here throughout the book, I feel like all of the adults are kind of variants of some sort of asshole. And I really enjoy that because it's realistic and it it gives a really authentic feel to this community and to the way this world works.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think when I think of nurturing, I think of it more in the sense that these adults ultimately want what's best for these kids and they're going to push them to achieve that. But then also simultaneously, it's a really brutal and cutthroat world in which these adults are okay with sacrificing these four kids in order to try and save the world. And they don't actually know that it's going to work. And you come to find out that they've sacrificed other groups of magic kids, essentially, in trying to stop the big baddie before. But the circumstances just weren't right. And so a lot of the nurturing, I think, as well comes not necessarily just from the bond between mentor and mentee which depending on which pairing you look at, I think becomes more or less. Anatov and Tichi are so similar and they've known each other for so long that I think that their bond potentially is stronger than some of the others that we see. But the nurturing also comes in the sense that all four of our teen characters care about each other and push each other to grow. And there's a really genuine friendship between all of them, where they all realize that they have flaws and they're not afraid to call each other out on those flaws and push them to grow past them. But they also cherish their strengths as well just as much. So it's very friendship based with the nurturing too. They rely on each other for a lot of this growth, just as they rely on the adults in their lives to learn what they need to know to hopefully survive this very strange and intense encounter.
1: Yes, I agree. I also think part of the nurturing in this community, because this community is so based on scholarship, is all about personal growth and learning more. And this theme resonates a lot with me in the book because our main character, Sunny, has to work really, really hard to catch up in terms of scholarship because she is a free agent, which essentially is like muggle <laughs> for our Eurocentric listeners. No, it should be a mudblood, not a muggle. Right, 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 right. Mudblood, sorry, muggle-born. <laughs> Yeah, so she has non-magic parents and therefore is first coming into this world. And that's not true for her friends or any of the other characters we meet. Free agents are apparently pretty rare. And she has to live this double life because of this. She has to succeed not only in this magic school, but she has to succeed in her real world school. And so she essentially just stops sleeping, which isn't the best thing to promote, I think maybe necessarily to young readers, but it was something I really resonated with as somebody who's going to grad school right now, because it kind of is the core of scholarship, this idea that you're going to work this hard for the sake of learning, and it's okay to work this hard for the sake of learning. And being, you know, somebody who is just American reading this book, I wonder how much of that might be a part of Nigerian culture. I don't know, it seemed kind of positive, this idea that You can accomplish these things, even if it means that you're breaking your body to do so.
0: Yeah, I think something that I ultimately found was useful about how hard Sunny worked was also the fact that gaining knowledge can be hard work. I think a lot of times in Western young adult, you either see characters, and this is generalizing, but it's a trend. You either see characters who are bad at school, and that's their whole thing, and they're like, fuck the system, I'm going to be bad at school. Most of the time, they're actually very, very smart, but they don't need to prove it to the man. Or you've got sort of like a middle-of-the-road character who's perfectly fine at school, successful, but maybe isn't overachieving. And their story probably doesn't have that much to do with academics. They're off doing other things. Or you've got the overachiever straight-A person who typically school comes pretty easy to, again, generalizing. And so it was nice as well to see this balanced character who works really hard for her knowledge, but then also succeeds. It pays off at the end. And I think also she is, she's good at her human school, you know, at her lamb school, which is what they call it in, in this world when you're not magical. That does come relatively easy to her, but she works her butt off for this understanding of magic. And there are certain things that she has affinities towards, which I think is very legitimate to the way people learn. But like for the most part, she's got to put in the work. And I think it's nice to see a representation of the fact that if you work hard for things you care about, it is possible to succeed and to get better. And that knowledge really can be worth that sacrifice if that's what you deem is is worth the sacrifice, you know, work the work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I never, I really never see people working this hard in books if that makes sense, especially not for knowledge or like scholarship at all. Usually even when I'm reading books about academics, you kind of get a little bit of a preview of what what's going on in the academic world. But for the most part, they already know everything. This book is cool, too, because in leopard society, knowledge is accessible to everyone. And we see within like the other kid group, right? Sunny is not the smartest kid in her magic school in her class, Chi Chi and Sasha are, and they would both be labeled as ADHD in Liam's school, which I thought was super duper fun. But even though Chi Chi and Sasha are super talented at magic school, they still have to put in the work and they still have to learn and they still have to read a shit ton of books. And that's just beautiful. And also like Orlu is dyslexic. It's, it's great. I love it. It really, I think, emphasizes the fact that the way school, traditional
0: school in the Lamb world and the world we live in is set up is really designed to help and promote a very certain learner. I know it's like such a cliche to misquote that Einstein thing about the fact that if you ask a fish to climb a tree, of course they're not going to be able to fucking climb the tree. But I do think that it speaks a little bit to this here. Orlu is really, really bad at Lamb school because he's dyslexic and he can't get the support where he is to succeed. But he is really brilliant at magic school and he even differently than Chi-Chi and Sasha does get to work a little bit less hard in magic school because of that which isn't to say he doesn't put in the effort he has different strengths i will say though that having said this i do think that this book borders a little bit on the whole idea that if you suddenly you become magic and it like overcomes whatever sort of disabilities that you have. So if you're sensitive to that, be aware. It's a really brief mention. And I don't think that that was what the author intended. I think it was intended to talk more about what we were breaking down there. But just as a side note for readers, I think it comes off a little bit that way in that one moment.
1: Yeah, I think that's especially apparent because Sunny is albino. So she has, you know, light sensitivity. She can't be out in the sun too long. And when she is initiated into the magic community, she no longer has that sun sensitivity and I think that in of itself is probably a little bit ableist but I do think that the point of the idea of, oh, these kids are magical and that's their gift. I do think that's supposed to be a message of inclusivity because even at magic school, even though Sasha and Chichi are thought to be the smartest, there are still things that Orlu and Sunny have that they don't. Everyone has the ability to learn and everyone is good at learning certain things. And that's beautiful. They're all smart kids because they're all in it together. And they're all putting in the work to learn, which is another really big thing. Everyone has to put in the work in order to be smart. No one is born smart, except for Gucci. But (laughs) she still has to work really hard at it.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that what you're getting at here is the fact that natural talent and affinity doesn't exclude you. From working really hard to hone those talents and getting better. And the fact that in this world, at the very least at the level of magic they're practicing, you can't just be good at what your affinity is. You have to practice everything, even if you're not naturally talented at that. And those are the places where you're going to have to work really, really hard. For example, when Sunny first does her first spell, essentially, she doesn't. She isn't able to get all of the right ingredients. There's an issue with a sheep's head, but she's able to make the magic work anyways. And she's a little bit shocked, but is ultimately pleased to find out that it's partially because since she's albino, she's considered to have her one foot sort of in the real world and one foot in the spirit realm, essentially. And because of this, she has an affinity for invisibility. So she starts off with a win, she finds out it's way easier for her to become invisible than it is for her friends. But then immediately after that, there's things that she struggles with. So there's always things that everyone's good at, and everyone's bad at. And I think that the point of sort of having a balance personality wise friend group, aside from the fact that for the magic system that was required was this idea of balance between all four of the kids, it really just showcases the fact that in community, that's kind of the point, right, is that you can be friends with people who are different than you and your strengths and your weaknesses balance those things out. The fact that in this story, Sasha and, and Chi-Chi are a little bit arrogant and very, very hot headed. And we see that get them into trouble a lot. And Orlu especially is able to sort of help them out of those situations because he is uh, like a peacemaker. That's what he does. That's his affinity. He, he can undo bad things in the universe and like convince things to go back to a more harmonious place but then at the same time when Sunny at one point in the book isn't sure how to stick up for herself in a sea of boys they're playing a soccer game Sasha's like no don't worry about it you're good enough to be here and I will bullhead us through this because you should be here and so like they're able to rely on each other in that way so in certain circumstances this aspect of Sasha isn't always great But in other circumstances, it's just strength and it helps Sunny and it bolsters Sunny and it empowers her to be able to do what she wants.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. So do we want to talk then about different ways this world balances itself? Or do we want to talk about the different characters I want to talk a little bit
0: more about the knowledge is power thing just for a second because I think it's really important. But also, I had it was really important and really well done, and I think ultimately I I enjoyed it. But there was a little part of me, the you know, the Marxist part that like screams in the back of my head that felt like a little I was interested by the concept that the way that knowledge is power sort of applies itself here is that when you learn, it literally becomes magical currency that you can then spend in other places. And I wasn't entirely sure how I Felt about that idea that like knowledge is is power is money, and I kind of wanted to get your read on that before I we moved on. Ultimately, it didn't end up bothering me, but the first couple of times that I read this interaction, I was a little like, "What are we
1: saying?" I can see why that bothers you. I think for me, my Marxist warning light
0: voice that screams at the back of your head,
1: yeah, a voice screaming at the back of my head went off more by the fact that these kids were expected to do so goddamn much, and that was just okay right because that's kind of where my personal philosophy is we should not be expected to work ourselves until death which is something that's really really prevalent everywhere you know Maggie and I have both suffered from that and kind of have to talk each other down at various points in our in our friendship from doing that and like I live in new york city so hustle culture is very very big here but i think from what you're saying now about the knowledge as currency like personally I really like that because that's you know I'm going into scholarship and I'm like that's a big priority of mine right now but also what happens if someone can't learn a spell or I don't know sometimes there are limits and we hear about that in the world some people are just level ones do they not get the right to still read and try to learn things and have currency? (laughs) I think that they do. Because I think that what counts as
0: learning in this world is way more broad than what you can get out of a textbook. I think that ultimately what made me okay with this is that it did feel as much as possible pretty equal opportunity in order to get wealth. And it also equalizes in the sense that when Sunny is first learning some really basic stuff, she amasses a lot of
1: It's called Shittim or something is is what it looks like. That's my attempt.
0: Shittim. And Sasha sees this and is like, Whoa, when I first learned about this, like I got way less. And it's not in a jealous way, but he mentions it. And Anatom is like, well, that's because you grew up in this world and already had an advantage, right? You had the privilege here, but Sunny has, has no idea. So proportionally, she's going to get more because she's learning a bigger thing. So I liked that aspect of the world. I think that another place where it gets interesting, though, is the fact... and. Morphs this whole knowledge as power thing is the fact that some of the baddies in this world just go around stealing other people's chitim instead of trying to learn new things and do it for themselves. There is in some ways in that sense, like capitalism, this theft is sort of the the antithesis of what they're up to. And is viewed as a bad thing, even though it's still occurring. Like it's shunned, and people are trying to do something about
1: it. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Okay, so I think I like this society. I think that this is my ideal. I think we should just all be paid for learning new life lessons and you know personal growth. That would be fantastic. And I like that you pointed out that there is equitableness to it. And I also kind of like oh, another thing that plays into this is the fact that. Like, None of the leopard people, not le- none of the leopard people, but it's kind of frowned upon to like have great material goods in leopard society. Not to mean that people don't, but it's not supposed to be highly valued. You're supposed to value knowledge. That's supposed to be the big thing and personal growth. Yeah. And I kind of like that the bad guys are the capitalists stealing people's shitum, And I like that not everyone is perfect. I like that this is how the society operates. And this is how a lot of people in the society live. But not everyone adheres to the rules. I think that's realistic. And I think that if we're ever going to create a super awesome society where we focus on knowledge and personal growth, this is something that we'll have to deal with. And, you know, maybe they just haven't figured out the best way to do it yet. I think also something that's really realistic about this
0: is the fact that... Different people understand value systems differently and apply it to their lives differently and subscribe to value systems differently. And I think that's shown, it's really brief, but it's shown in a comparison between how Orlu and Chi-Chi live their lives. Chi-Chi's mother, who is a Nim priestess, which is like an extraordinarily... High honor. She's like the top of the top, essentially, really subscribes hard to this anti materialism. Pretty much all of their material goods in this world are books, are ways to gain more knowledge, and they live very modestly otherwise. Where Later in the book, we discover, even though we don't see where he lives, we discover that Orlu's parents don't subscribe to it quite as hard. And they have some more middle material goods. And they live probably a more traditionally middle class life in that sense. And he's not put down for that, necessarily. There's some questioning about it. But a I think that that's just a really realistic way to build to do world building and build societies, because that's how it works in the real world, right? I'm sure that in every country you go to, you could probably ascribe a value system to say that the majority of people believe this, but it's always a spectrum of how much people believe in it, act on it, apply it to their everyday lives, and... I think that especially for a shorter book because this for a fantasy, this is only three hundred and fifty pages. You know it's pretty slim. A core four is really able to just nail into how culture works and society works and succinctly explain that and showcase that.
1: yeah, it's also cool too, because it's kind of implied that this these value systems might not exists for magical people across the world because leopard people leopard people exist everywhere right they might call themselves something different but this is we're really only looking at Nigerian magic people and we know that other magic people exist we know that other values exist because we have an instance where sunny reads this book by some sort of author who went to study in Europe and essentially became a jerk because she was indoctrinated by European values and their societal values. And therefore her, jer- her book is really condescending and jerky. So I think that's interesting. And I would like to know which each society, I mean, we can't go to every country in the world, you know, not in a, in a book, but I would like to know what the American and other societies value systems are and how they differ.
0: Yeah, we get a little bit of that with Sasha because part of the reason he's so angry is because a, he's, he's a young Black man living in the United States. I, I think he actually lives in Chicago. So, you know, at an epicenter of a lot of tension, I think, for Black men and cops especially, which this book dives into a little bit, the fact that Sasha has had experience with police brutality and uses his magic to fight back against that a bit. But also he talks about the fact that in the US, sort of the epicenter of magic is in new york and it's very eurocentric and it's not very inclusive and in order to try and fix that inclusivity they created like an african-american epicenter of magic in the u.s that's in south carolina i think and he really it doesn't dive into it a ton but i think that Sasha's vitriol towards this solution and that mention really says a lot about the U.S. And I think how the U.S. has always tried to solve racial tension and racial conflict is first and foremost through segregation and saying what you're doing is okay, but you can do it over there. And it's not been through a lens of inclusivity and valuing everyone else's intelligence. Uh, and I think that that is really showcased through this book too. just through the sense of we get to dive so deeply into this Nigerian magic system and understand how much uh, what a wealth of knowledge that they have. And so it just so highlights to me with those few mentions, what all of these, you know, sorcerers and magicians in New York and Europe are are missing out on because they think that their way is right.
1: Yeah. And I really like the approach to knowledge, too. Even though these value systems are different, it seems like the adults are pro-learning them, even though they might not subscribe to them. And I think that's exemplified really well by a quote about critical reading on page 112. Sunny is given this free agent book, and it's like the only book on free agents that exist. So it is kind of important for her, right? Because there's no other books written for people like her. All right. So they're talking about this book that Sunny is reading about free agents. And Sunny says... Mm-hmm. But the book said leopard people are proud of their imperfections, Sunny said, hoping to sound as if she knew something. Lesson one, Anton said, and this is for all of you. Learn how to learn. Read between the lines. Know what to take and what to discard. Sunny, we don't teach as the lambs do. Books will be part of your learning, but experience is important too. You'll all be sent out to see for yourselves. So you have to know how to learn. For example, that book, Fast Facts for Free Agents, he spat the title out as if he had little respect for it. It was written by a woman named Isong Abong Ifong Isong, one of the most knowledgeable leopard people of all time of the world. She passed the fourth level. The problem was, for her learning experiences, she chose to move to Europe and then America, where she thought the truly civilized ideas were being knitted. Sasha scoffed. Mantov nodded at him. Exactly. Anton said. You know the deal. Anyway, while there, she developed the idea that free agents like you, Sunny, are the scourge of the earth. She believed them ignorant and misguided. You can imagine what this African woman thought of us African Americans. He paused. Prejudice begets prejudice. You see? Knowledge does not always evolve into wisdom. I love that. I love that so much. We were talking about this just a few weeks ago about how people need to learn how to critically think and how to critically evaluate ideas. It's not always the worst thing in the world to peek on to see what Fox News is printing or God forbid, a conspiracy theory because then at least you know, you know what other people think and you can get a sense for it. But you do have to know how to evaluate that information and see which parts of it are worth keeping and which parts aren't. I think that
0: this passage too is also, it goes back to that idea of value system, right? The fact that not everyone who's raised in a certain place is going to think the same way. And I think also touches a little bit on colonialism and the fact that a lot of the success of colonialism involves deeply ingraining for people that are being colonized that they are lesser like over generations and it comes out in weird and insidious ways like the fact that Europe and America is where the civilized magic is going on you know so I think it really pokes at a lot of very deeply ingrained ideals of how the world works through a western lens which is super interesting too, because every every almost every character we see in this book is self-described as African American, Nigerian American. Even Anatov is African American. He just lives in Nigeria now. So Sonny and Sasha and Anatov, in many ways, all have in multiple worlds and multiple lens points and they're able to use that to inform how they learn and think about the world but what really strikes me as being important here is actually the paragraph right after what you read so I'm gonna just go on a little bit further on page 113 that said when you read her books you have to really read them be aware of her biases toward those not from her homeland and those who are not of traceable spirit. Being aware of other people's biases and being aware of your biases as well is a really key part of being a critical thinker and an informed learner. And is also, I think, a really critical part of fighting against the prejudices that exist against you and the world. Because when you're aware of how people view you and why they think of it in this way, and I don't even just mean racially, but like if you're reading a book by a man and you're a woman and you're aware of what biases might come up, you're less likely, I think, to over time be very slowly indoctrinated to believe that those things are true just because they're coming from that lens. And it also is really important when you're dealing with people who you disagree with that you have to be aware of what your biases are. And what their biases are so that you can sort of get to the truth of what's happening and the motivations behind those things. I think it's really important to understand and recognize the fact that you are biased because we all are and we all think that we're right. And it's really easy, I think, when you know that you're fighting for human rights to just be like, blanket, I'm in the right here because I'm fighting for all humans and things like that. But beyond that larger statement, you have nuances of opinion about how those things should be played out that aren't necessarily right, and that other people are going to disagree with how they, those things should be played out. So being aware of the fact that, that you're not perfect either is really, really important in the critical thinking aspect as well. And I feel like this book touches on that as on that too. This book touches on a lot of topics really well. Especially considering the fact that not all of these things are main themes of the book, you know, they're they inform the identity of the characters and therefore they get discussed and they get talked about.
1: Yeah, and it's talked in a way that I feel like could be really accessible to a 12 year old, right? Because I can try to talk about critical thinking all I want until I get blue in the face, but my language probably isn't going to resonate very much with somebody who doesn't have the same sort of language or jargon that I have.
0: Totally, totally agree. And I think that what's really impressive... And what oftentimes bothers me about YA in general, especially when I go back and try and read it as an adult, is that it's not condescending at all, at all. It just, it just uses simpler language to explain big ideas. And it doesn't over-explain them because it exu- it assumes that the reader doesn't need them over-explained. It drops these things. And I'm sure that some readers will pick up on some of it and some readers won't pick up on other parts because that's true of everyone. Harmony and I didn't pick up on everything in this book, but it it assumes a I think a really high level of intelligence of the reader as in my opinion books and art should. You should think highly of your audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. I think that's you said high level of intelligence in your reader. And when I think of that, when when you say words like intelligence, I have a very set image in my mind about somebody who is meeting certain markers of intelligence and standards. But I think that one of the points of this book is that you don't need to meet any sort of markers or standards or have any sort of shared language necessarily in order to understand things or to be able to understand things, you're not necessarily unintelligent because you don't have a high school degree. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, what what you're saying is this book assumes that you are capable of understanding it. So it's just going to tell you that. And it doesn't use big words to do that. It doesn't, it's very accessible. You are capable of understanding it.
0: Yeah, yep, absolutely. It really, I think it walks the walk. It showcases what, it says and what it has its characters do and the way that it's written, because it's essentially putting you the reader through similar kinds of not like trials in the same way that they go through in the book. But like, there's a similar level of just you got this. So I'm I'm not going to sit here and condescend to you.
1: Yeah, I like that. In that quote, too, there was another thing I picked up on reading it again with you. This emphasis on experience for learning and experiential learning, which really is a main theme throughout the book because Antov's main teaching style is to go send the students on these random adventures where they almost die and not explain anything to them about it beforehand. And I wanted to know what you think about about that. We were talking a little bit, we kind of hinted a little bit earlier about multiple learning theory when you talked about Einstein talking about a fish climbing a tree. People learn in different ways, essentially, and some people are more talented at learning in certain ways than others. People have certain affinities towards different types of learning. And I feel like experiential learning and the way that it is used in this book seems to kind of fit that idea that, yes, we're going to read books, but also we're going to apply our experience. I think for me
0: that that's really the nail on the head, because in some ways there isn't that much multiple learning in this book in the sense that it is sort of divided between traditional sort of lecture-style reading, absorb knowledge, and these experiences that Anatop shuts them on and doesn't really care if they live or die. I mean, I'm sure he cares, but not enough to intervene. It's a test. It's a, it, like, those are the tests. But I think that what you hit the nail on the head on is that it's not enough to just sit here and absorb theory. You have to actually go and use it and apply it. And I think that that also ends up touching on a different aspect of learning and knowledge too, which is the fact that you have to test out if you agree with what you're learning and what knowledge you're supposed to be gaining to actually understand if you subscribe to that method of of looking at and thinking about the world. That's, I think, part of the reason why in science class they make you do experiments, right? So that you are forced to see the practical applications of this abstract theory that you're learning.
1: No, I agree. I think that the reason I put the reason I made that as a sort of kind of connection is because they are learning while doing it's not just solely application or solely assessment. They learn new things, sometimes even new spells on these adventures. And I mean, as an ADHD learner. (laughs) I really appreciate that because often I go into a project knowing very, very little and I have to pick up more on the way, but I'm never going to retain the information unless I like physically do something or it doesn't have to be a physical thing, but like I have to create something or do something. I have to do some sort of production.
0: I get that. I do think so though, something that's interesting that I don't think is a tension that I don't think this book ever necessarily resolves about learning and learning style is that in some ways, the book condemns lamb school, very traditional school, because it doesn't support our learners who have dyslexia or are experiencing ADHD. But then at the same time, Sunny is is so far behind compared to the other kids when she goes to magic school to leopard school. And she also doesn't receive that support. She's just kind of chucked in, even to the point where she's learning almost level two stuff after just being initiated into this world and just being initiated into level one. So there's like a a critique of the way learning systems work here and that they don't support everyone and they don't work for everyone towards land school. But to me, at the very least, it never really felt addressed that the same thing happens in Leopard School and that nobody is there to help Sunny catch up or anything. It's very sink or swim in both systems.
1: I agree. Yeah, there's definitely no scaffolding. I think this sort of ties into what we were talking about a little bit earlier with the author here being accessible and not talking down to her readers. I sort of feel as though the way the magic system sets up is set up, they believe that they're entirely accessible, if that makes sense. No one's giving Sunny any extra stuff because they have full faith that she's going to catch up, that she's not going to die, and that she's not going to sink. And I don't know enough about the world to see whether or not that is justified. And I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, especially because we know that the magic system and the learning system in the leopard world is hierarchical because we have different levels (laughs) and you're only allowed to do certain spells once you're in a certain level. So I'm not entirely sure how that works out, but I do think that the idea is supposed to be that they're less hierarchical than, you know, muggle school, than lamb school. Because one of the reasons that lamb school is condemned is because people like sasha or chichi who would have been categorized as adhd would have been then placed in lower classes and would have never gotten the stimulation they need from lamb school
0: yeah yeah for sure for sure and like this is this definitely isn't supposed to be a one-to-one correlation by any means so i don't want to overexpect. I just think that I wish that part of the conversation was handed with a little bit more nuance. Because to me, I think especially with Orlu and dyslexia, that is a really huge problem in our school systems around the world is that there are proven ways that kids with dyslexia can learn and succeed in Lamb school and very, very, very few schools provide that. Or people who are learning. English as a second, third, fourth language, and are kind of also just thrown into sink or swim with very, very little structure or support.
1: Which is what Sasha is supposed to do, not for English, but for...
0: uh, So I think that for me, I just thinking about that aspect of it, I wish the book dived into it a little bit more, because I feel like it is one of the conversations that could have used a little bit more nuance. But ultimately, that's really... Nitpicky because I think for the most part, this is a pretty tight system that knows what it's talking about and whose criticism, even when it's brief, really hits the nail on the head. But that is what I was thinking about. Man, we really made this, this episode all about learning.
1: Well, I feel like that's the biggest thing I took away from this book. And I mean, it is, it's literally a part of the value system of the fantasy world to kind of 180 completely in a jarring transition wh- while we're talking about critiques. Did this book feel weirdly heteronormative to you? Yes and no. Okay, so I had—I don't know that uh, I want to.
0: I don't know that I want to expand upon that thought.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to expand on my feelings. So I love this book. I think it's great. But this book was published in 2017, and I've been consuming a lot of YA fic lately that was published relatively recently, and it feels weird. To see these four kids, you know, like, I just don't even believe that exists in real life. I don't believe four straight people really even exist all at once. I think it's more than seven, but yeah, I get you. They say, that's what they say. The gay agenda is working. We're all becoming a little bit more gay as we become more okay with homosexuality. Yeah, I don't believe that. I I don't even believe it exists. but. It felt weird to me because a part of this group is that Chi-Chi and Sasha end up, you know, kind of dating. They have sexual tension. And then Orlu and Sunny also like each other. And to me, that whole thing felt like it could have been done better. I wasn't super invested in these relationships. And maybe it's because they're 12 and 14 and I'm too old and crotchety to relate anymore. That's a very real possibility. But also, I was really struck by how heterosexual it all seemed.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't to jokingly put it as you as you have. I don't think that the gay agenda has gone as far in YA as some of the sample reading that we've done would apply. Like, there's been a lot of really great books that tackle LGBTQ plus topics. I think I see less of them, and this is an overgeneralization. Where the main character of the book or writing characters are people of color and also LGBT. They're out there. They exist. They're real. Aristotle uh, versus Dante is one that comes to mind immediately.
1: Cemetery boys. I mean, I get that that's Latinx and you know.
0: Same with Aristotle and Dante. But I just don't think it's quite as common. I think that to a certain extent YA currently is sort of stuck in a rut where it's like, we want to be inclusive and diverse, but you your book has to focus on one aspect of that. And if you're a person of color, you're probably going to be forced to on being a person of color. And I think also this comes from the larger conversation of write what you know, and things like that, you know, like, I don't know Nettie Okorafor's sexual orientation, I don't care particularly much, but it's possible that she's straight and she's just kind of writing what she knows and like might not know the best way in which to, to handle an LGBTQ relationship. And I think that this book was really, really, really focused on Nigerian culture and like really sort of unpacking Western values versus Nigerian values. It was so honed in on that, that like it excluded potentially other aspects of inclusivity, if that makes sense. So like, it it also stuck out to me and I agree with you. I wish that the romances didn't happen at all. I think they were super unnecessary. And that for me, this would have been a stronger book if, it, if they had just all stayed friends, because it did feel a little bit unnecessarily heteronormative, but I'm not altogether surprised by that
1: I think I would have been happy you know it makes sense they're 12 and 14 well and I say 12 because that's Sunny's age we have no idea what Chi Chi's age is it makes sense that they would be sexually curious and I think that I would have enjoyed it more if they ended up with different people or they were exploring with different people who weren't a part of our core four because I'm a big sucker for strong friendships and I just in general don't really like when we get a male-female friendship and then they end up being lovers i I mean it can be done well but like i don't like the idea that oh i'm i'm a man you're a woman i guess we have to date which sort of was my issue i think with this story i totally agree i think even if it
0: had just been chichi and sasha kind of having the tension because they did have the tension the entire book i would have been like okay but you know like sunny and orly it it was the fact that it was both of them by the end that i felt a little bit like
1: well this is how we're gonna pair it off really (laughs) the the spicy couple goes the spicy boy and the spicy girl go together and then like the shy boy and the shy girl go together
0: which you would almost think that the opposite would be true because this book is very much about balance. So you would think that it would be the, uh, the spicy boy and the shy girl and the other way around.
1: And i was almost kind of here for that. You know, I kind of a little bit was like, oh, it'd be cute if Chi Chi and Sunny ended up shipping each other or Sunny and Sasha. I could see like a little bit of a romance sewing. And I really wanted Orlo to be gay. You know, he uh, he reads as gay to me and I'm confused as to why he is not.
0: Yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if it also might get addressed in later books in this series. Yeah. But those are my general thoughts. Yes, it stuck out to me. But I think that it was at least partially because this book was very much on a mission with a message largely about like colonialism and race and how colonialism has skewed our values. And sometimes I think it is possible for books to try and do too much. On the one hand, inclusivity is is really important. And I want every book to be as inclusive as possible. But also, it, I think it would have read weird given everything else happening in this book if one of the characters was just like suddenly LGBT and that didn't get unpacked, which isn't to say that if that happened, for wouldn't unpack it.
1: I think that Orlu could have been gay and it could have just been mentioned once. I think that would have been perfectly fine if we were just like, oh, yeah, no, I like boys. But I don't know. I mean, it is Nigeria. That's a different culture that I'm not super familiar with. So it might have needed more unpacking if we were going to, like, preserve the cultural integrity of this book. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's everything I've got, Mags. Do you have anything else? I think the only other thing... There's this whole scene with a
0: soccer match in this book that we didn't super dive into that was, I think, the most overtly feminist possible. Like, there's some real commentary that happens around that scene about equality for girls and things like that. I kind of thought in some ways it was sort of unneeded, frankly, given everything else that was happening in the book. But again, you know, thinking about a 12 or 13 year old reader, that was probably really helpful. But I think other than that, we've kind of covered it. Do you think this is a feminist book?
1: I do. Yes. I think in part because there is direct, overt feminist commentary. And also because we're, again, following a young woman who is marginalized in her community and world and is still fighting for power for herself and overcoming. Yeah,
0: no, I totally agree.
1: All right. What are you reading, Miss Mags?
0: I am still reading Outlawed by Anna North. And I'm also reading Sadie by Courtney Summers. And I'm also reading Cast by, I think her
1: name is... Isabel Wilkerson. What about you? That's a lot. I'm just reading Cemetery Boys by I don't know, but I'll find out someday. It will be in the show notes, so you'll you'll be able to see. Sorry, I don't have the book on me. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. What's our homework for this week? Okay. So New York keeps deciding for some reason that they're going to deal with their their loss of money from COVID by. Cutting library budgets and now cutting school library budgets, which makes me personally really, really nervous. And so I'd like us, if you live in New York, to work on fighting for libraries, one. And then two, I want you to work on legalizing weed because I feel like this would really solve our budgetary problems. And then globally in the world right now, you know, I keep posting action resources to our Instagram when I'm not dying. So look at those. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. And it's a variety of resources. I just kind of spam the Instagram because it makes me feel like I'm changing something. GameStop is a thing as we record this. So I would like you all to get out your knives and forks and be ready to eat the rich. What about you, Nagy? Well, I'm
0: I'm embroiled in the GameStop thing. So I'm going to continue actively eating the rich. Fuck billionaires. And then as I've got a little bit of skin in that game, if I continue to, to win, which I'm I'm currently am, I'm gonna use some of that money to donate to bail funds across the country to support people who are probably being wrongfully held right now.
1: Unfair and fair and unjust systems created by the rich.
0: Yep. Yep. All about eating the rich this week. I've I've never I've never been quite so angry, which I, I didn't really even think was possible to get angrier than I was. But we were here, we made it, it's like new levels. Of unbridled fury, but yeah, that's that's what I think I'm up to this week. What are we reading next week? Do we know Binti? We're be- we're reading Binti, also by Nnedi Okorafor.
1: Yes, which we actually, yeah, it's weird that we somehow didn't know that these were both written by the same author and then placed them right next to each other as though we did. And that episode will be strange, I'm sure, because we recorded it a few weeks ago. So just be aware.
0: That's all, folks. Goodbye.
1: Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash rgbc and clicking the support to this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to medium.com slash rebel-girls-book-club and clicking read along. You can follow us at RGBC Pod on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club, on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at Book Club at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by the gays. See you soon and remember to read rebelliously.